Today on Rebuilders, we look at the problem that many leaders are facing in a complex world. And I would say the problem that many leaders are making in a hey. complex world. <laughs> and that's really the application of technical solutions that worked in a previous era, in a previous time, but are not working in this new environment that we are encountering. So how do we move from being technical solution appliers to actually adaptive leaders who are going with God and discovering new solutions to the new challenges that we find. It's a great episode. If you do want to get um, any of the resources that we have referred to in the episode and a little bit of a behind the scenes chat, you can subscribe to our mailing list at rebuilders.co. Let's get into it. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name's Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel. How are you both going? Really well, thank you. Good to be here today. Mark, how are you? Hear ye. Oh. Hear ye. <laughs> oh. Hark. Hear ye. <laughs> the street uh, crier is here. Uh, the town crier is here. Oh, the town crier. Town yeah. crier. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. Just right. a, can I just really quickly interrupt? I actually grew up in a town where there was a town crier. Are hang you on, hang serious? On, 100%. Hang on, what? And he was like a local icon. Like every year we'd have our like street parade and he would be heading it up. With Did his he bell. do? Hold on. Magnificent every beer. week he no, would do yeah. street crying? Like, is it, no, no, was this a regular was, thing? It was just I think during was, the parade. He was an older gentleman. I think he used to do it. And then as it kind of culturally changed, he just came out for special events. Stop oh, it. Yeah. You're not helping the cause <laughs> of people laughing at South Australia saying <laughs> it's behind the times. You're just not helping. I Look, I don't know. Look, it was when I, it was back in the nineties. So look, we're, the eighteen yeah, nineties, the, the seventeen nineties. <laughs> uh, hey, hang on, hang on. forget today's episode. This is today's episode. No, no, not really. Straight crying. Did he? Did he do like public Town announcements? Crying. Like rates. The only time like your a- water bills will be hear ye, hear ye. Your water bills will be late. Like what? What's he? I look. I don't know what he used to do, but he. The only times I saw him was we'd. Like every year there'd be like a town parade and the different Lions Club or Rotary yeah, or whatever yeah, and yeah. like Scouts or whatever would kind of move the way down the street and he mm. would be at the front of it <laughs> with his bell kind of hailing in this magnificent parade. And did he say, hear ye, hear ye? I don't remember. I was a child. Okay. Well, you remember re- him with his bell? I do, yes, yes. Wow. But you'd see him around like you'd make, jump like was he dressed in it? Yeah, I was about that, to say, did yeah, he have yeah. an outfit? Yeah, he had an outfit. And then the rest of the time he had like some, I just, he had this like, I think it was like a denim jacket with all these like badges and different things that he'd, awards he'd won or something. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, yeah, he was wow. the local town cry. So anyway, uh, Mark, uh. Mark has... <laughs> In the 21st yeah, sorry. century um, in Blackburn. I, the town crier or podcast crier. I am the podcast crier. For those who have been listening to this podcast for some time, there has been a plot line. A pastry-based one? No, a non-pastry plot Ooh. line bubbling away in the background. It started at our uh, networked world uh, supply chain issue. So mm-hmm. we did a whole uh, podcast on supply chains and-, and uh, Around middle of the year last year, was around it? Around middle of the year. Well, it was over 13 or 14 months ago. Yeah, the okay. reason I can say that is I gave the illustration in that episode of the fact that uh, my wife Trudy and I had ordered a car, a Toyota Camry. Yes. And uh, we were told it was going to be three months. And this has just been an ongoing thing where three months become four months, become five months, become six months. As all the various chaotic things happening in our complex world occurred, 
Um, but that story, that plot line has been resolved. And I think it was just after last week's episode, we received a call that finally, finally. Stop it. The supply chain issues of the world, at least for me, had been resolved. And my Toyota Camry was at the car dealer lot waiting. And and so I, I drove off very quietly because it was a <laughs> hybrid and it's like silent. But the cheers were loud. <laughs> In the car. Amazing. Yeah, so finally for all those <laughs> people around it. the world. I've literally had people overseas ask me this, um, how's it going with the Camry? And um, I think I've even spoken with Carrie Newoff on his podcast because he had a similar issue. But the story plot line has been resolved. The Camry has arrived. And amazingly, and this is how wacky the world is at the moment, that it was like cheaper than if we bought secondhand. Yeah, well. So weird. That's it. Well done for getting yeah. it early. Yeah. Well and, well, and look. Early. Yeah. yeah. Is that early. a thing? Um, and uh, fortune favours the brave. Oh, I think fortune <laughs> favours. waited. <laughs> I think the fortune favours the patient. The patient. Yeah. Yes. yeah. They were saying that if you order now, it's even longer. They're like saying it's like years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. There you go. Well, I really did want to record today's episode in the Camry. Yes. And it would have worked. It would have been nice and quiet yeah. given it's a hybrid, yes. as you've yes. stated. Yes. Right. So maybe next week's. Daniel, you can make that happen, oh, right? Yeah, we'll get the lighting set up in yeah. there and buy a whole car camera mount kit thing. And well, it's less about the cameras and more about the sound, isn't it? Mm. We, we could do a moving on the road. vox pop like interviews. Yeah, yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars yes. getting coffee. Yes, Great. Who's the comedian in this scenario? The Camry. The, <laughs> the supply chains of the world. <laughs> They're laughing stock. Uh, oh, good. Well, congratulations, Marcus. Thank you. That's good thank news. You. And we'll we'll work on another plot line. Yeah. Um maybe we could track down the town crier. Yes. Get him on the show. Yes. I'm not sure if he, he was an older gentleman. So. Get him on TikTok. He's probably got a TikTok. You yeah. reckon? Nah. nah. TikTok is the denim jacket with lots of patches celebrating yourself of the twenty first century. Wow. Yeah, you, you I, I reckon. Yeah. Does that work? Maybe yeah, not. no, it does. Yeah. Thank you. And you're, you're your own town yeah. on TikTok. The town yeah. crier is yeah. just you advocating for yourself. Yes. I mean, I'm sure TikTok is used in many mm. very wholesome and helpful ways. Anyway. Can I make a um, prediction about TikTok? Oh, please. It will not be available in the West within 12 months. Really? Mm. Go on. Well, if you think about it, um, I mean, we know we know that um, the company behind it is is there is sort of links to like Tencent. Tencent, yeah, you know, yeah. there's been people, you know, sort of linking it to, you know, Chinese military intelligence. And if you think about it, like like as there's an increased competition between, you know, the West and and China or US and China, um, and it's become the dominant sort of social media platform for younger people. It's an incredible weapon for yeah. um you know like say so you think about like if they um you know like just say Taiwan in, is is invaded mm. you know, how does that play out on on TikTok so wow. you w- why would you give why would you you know like i think i think it's become things become more adversarial you know and i know mm. that there's like mm. i know in australia and i think in great britain i think i've heard in the us too there's like congressional and parliamentary like people looking at it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or like you know if if they you know heard one person say what if tiktok did 
you know, buy this stock, do this, worry about this weather event, you know, like the potential for social media to use effect. And, and interestingly, like China has um, and Russia have, um, you know, sort of cut off a lot of Western social media apps. Mm. So it just makes sense that that will be reciprocal at mm. some point. Mm. Okay, well. Um, I'll make a note to check back in year's time. Yeah, so the 5th of October. Yeah. Yep. Check on TikTok in the West. Well, let's get into uh, the content for today, which you may have already kind of alluded to in your discussion of um, the acquisition of your Camry uh, and how we're moving, or we have really moved from this complicated world to a complex world. And we're going to dig into that in a little bit more detail But today we're really focusing on what the problem that many leaders are facing in this complex world. Mm. Well, effectively, the problem is that many, many leaders are choosing to make technical solutions. Yes. (laughs) And apply technical solutions when we're in a time where leaders need to apply adaptive solutions. Okay. So let's, let's start with understanding what you mean by a technical solution. Yes. Okay, so a technical solution is a solution that has worked in the past. Okay. Uh, It's an answer that has already been discovered. Mm -hmm. And what we like to do as leaders is we like to find when we have a problem, something which has been already done, uh, the manual that's already been written and apply that to the conundrum that we're facing at that point in time. Now, this is a helpful thing and I'm sure we've all done it. But in the environment that we're entering into, uh, this becomes more problematic. So in a complicated environment, which um, is an environment where there's problems that we face, but things proceed in a linear fashion, Mm -hmm. things aren't as chaotic or uh, random, Uh, you can find a problem And who has explored this before? Maybe it's something from the past or history or maybe there's an issue that say you're leading a church and how do we run um, discipleship groups now? Mm -hmm. And you may look at what a church across town is doing or what a book is written about a church on the other side of the world is doing. We often have people writing to us and you probably filled a lot of these and have these conversations, Daniel, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. people who... You know, write and say, what is Red doing in the discipleship space? What sort of groups are you running? You know, I know you write huddles. We've noticed there's lots of people who are also doing huddles. Mm. And um, how many people are in a huddle? How long do you run them? How do you enter a huddle? What material do you use? All these are technical, very practical mm. uh, solutions. Yep. So there's nothing inherently wrong with technical solutions in mm-hmm. of themselves. But when you move from a complicated environment, as Margaret Heffernan said, into a complex environment, complex environments are different to complicated environments. Complex environments are nonlinear. Yes. They are taking part in systems where things are deeply connected. So something that happens over there can influence you over here. Crises can cascade into other crises. And often complex environments throw up new conundrums, new leadership challenges, new issues that you've not faced before. So leaders increasingly find themselves in trouble when they are applying technical solutions in a complex environment. So the issues that um, tend to be faced when you apply a technical solution in a complex environment are these uh, second and third order effects, right, that you mentioned. So, 
you you might apply um, a solution to this particular issue and then a month down the track there are all of these other proliferating issues that yes. have occurred because of that. Yes. In the past that wouldn't have happened no. but because of the nature of um, the circumstances that we're living in, it's, yeah, mm. more volatile. So an example would be um, uh, in 2008 we had a global financial crisis mm. and we uh, – you know, dealt with that through stimulus. Uh, we had two major sort of banks collapse in the US, um, Bear Stearns and uh, Lehman Brothers, and we had the potential for absolutely global economic meltdown, mm. even the whole failure of the entire financial system. Um, and so government started to stimulate the economy almost like an adrenaline shot by printing money, releasing money, quantitative easing. Um, now, the pandemic hits and again, we had a massive downturn because of lockdowns and supply chain disruptions and people not working and infections. So, we tried stimulus again. Mm -hmm. uh, but part of the problem with stimulus is that it can stimulate the economy, but it can stimulate the economy too much. Yeah. And that means often when the economy is stimulated too much, prices rise. So, we now have a second order effect in the world of inflation. Yeah. So the technical solution, because it worked in 2008, was to then apply that again and do stimulus. Now, amazingly, what's happened is uh, because of the war in Ukraine, which is another complex thing. So you're not just doing economic theory in a vacuum or in a complicated world where you just got one problem in front of you. Yes. You're trying to do that when you've got an economic problem. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, you've had a, a a medical problem of a pandemic. Now you've got a war in Ukraine, which puts pressure pressure on energy prices. Mm -hmm. So you've then got this situation where all of a sudden inflation's going up, but then also energy prices. So governments like, oh, we've got to do a technical solution because there's tremendous pressure on yes, them. And yes. We can talk about that in a second. Um, so now there's like price caps and we'll, we'll, we'll subsidize um, this or we'll print money to buy more, you know, like, like government bonds or whatever. So we're now, we've had stimulus Problem started to happen because of stimulus, but now effectively we're doing stimulus again. Yeah. Okay. So we're repeatedly applying a technical solution, but that just creates second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth order yeah. um, effects, and that's what happens in a, um, in a in a in a complex environment. Is often you're dealing with the side effects of yesterday's great technical solution. Yeah, interesting. And if you uh, are interested in hearing more about this move from a complicated world to a complex world and you haven't listened to the Network World series that we did back in 2020, it's a really great, um, I guess, overview of what this shift from a complicated world to a complex world is all about. So if you're wanting more context, you can head back there and we'll pop that link in the subscriber chats if you um, subscribe to our mailing list. Mm. Uh, it, let's talk about complex environments and how yeah. they eat technical solutions for breakfast. Yes. Okay. So when a problem comes across our path, we tend to look for answers mm -hmm. and, and we look for answers in a couple of places. One may be experts who seem to have mastered the technical solutions. If you're someone who comes up with a bunch of technical solutions, you will probably be seen as an expert. Yeah. One simple way that that's happened, say, in the church world is, um, you know, uh, say, Church X uh, somewhere, normally in America, um, has grown a really large church that seems to be successful, mm -hmm. um, perhaps because of a particular innovation. 
um, a technical solution, how they run their small groups, how they do their preaching, you know, how they market themselves, whatever. And what will happen is we'll go, well, I'm struggling in my ministry here. They are growing. Yes. Um, I'm going to read their book, go to their conference, turn up at their church and learn from the technical solution that they've come up with. Yes. Now, sometimes that can be helpful. Yep. But also we live in a very complex world where technical solutions are not always transmissible and transportable yes. over environments. Um, you know, there's local culture, um, there's national culture, there's city culture, there's parts of the city, there's different, you know, uh, cultures even within one particular area. Yeah. There's different factors, history, all this plays its part. That's complexity. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we tend to do is look for experts, but often experts are experts from the last time something happened not in the current reality of what is going on. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, you know, let's look at COVID as one example. Um, China was being lauded in lots of articles about its successful approach to, uh, you know, eradicating the virus mm -hmm. in, in 2020 through sort of COVID zero and lockdowns. That's something our, our country followed in our state. Um, but then as you had mRNA sort of vaccines um, distributed in the world and people began to build up this sense of immunity, um, you saw people pivot. You know, yeah. and our, our country's pivot and we've sort of got no no lockdowns or anything at the moment or any any regulations really. China didn't pivot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was applying the technical solutions for 2020 to, to what's happening now because, you know, it doesn't have the, you know, like the, the sort of ability to change course because of the political environment and so on. So often yesterday's experts can be helpful, but also they can be really, you know, like like if you're applying their answers in a novel and new environment, yes. you can go wrong. So that, that's one way. We look to the experts. So something happens and we're looking, someone must have an answer somewhere. That's yes. what we do. The second thing is we often look to the past. Mm -hmm. um, I saw an interview yesterday with, um, this on The Spectator, with um, Peter Hitchens, uh, brother of the late Christopher Hitchens and um, was a military expert. I forgot his name. And I think it was Katie Balls is interviewing them. And, and Peter Hitchens made a really interesting point. He said that anytime there's a crisis around a dictator or something in the world, we compare it back to appeasing Hitler. And there's the famous Munich Peace Conference in 1938 where the British Prime Minister Chamberlain went and met with Hitler and he was trying to go for peace. So he, you know, he, he was accused of appeasement. He flew back into England and mm -hmm. held up the agreement and said, I think, peace in our time. And obviously, you know, yeah. Hitler was <laughs> leading him up the garden course, path. Yep. But Hitchens made the point, and I think he's right, that every time there's a conflict in the world, we can't just keep applying it to Munich. He talked about the fact that when uh, the Second Gulf War happened, and um, uh, Saddam Hussein was accused of having weapons of mass destruction, which wasn't true. Um, everyone was like, "But this is like this is like Munich, you know." And yeah. if you if you if you don't stand up to Saddam Hussein, it's going to be like Hitler. And you know, we hear similar arguments with Putin. So one thing is, we go back to the past. Now, the past can still be a good resource yes. of, yeah. of of ways forward to think about things. But if we just wrote apply those answers, what we may be facing now is actually maybe something very different. Mm -hmm. When Hitler uh, and Chamberlain faced off, they did not have nuclear weapons. Yeah. And that's the point Hitchens was making. We now have the capacity to, one of these goes wrong and the entirety of humanity is wiped out. Uh, it's a very different scenario. It's a much more complex world. So the past and experts um, are often places we go searching, but when you've got new challenges, they're not always the best guides. Yeah. 
And so moving on from that, like when you have a, a pressing issue that yes. needs a solution, it's it's easy to want to get a, a solution quickly, yes. right? And so that's why it's easy to to deviate uh, to um, – did I mean to say deviate? Yes. Yep. That's why it's easy to uh, go to something that is yes. known and understandable mm. and has worked in the past and yes. it appeases the people who yes. are concerned about what is mm. about to happen. So, yes, in the past – you know, we're, if we're referring back to to the idea of uh, of Hitler, not yes. the idea, but the situation, um, this is something that we did. We don't want to get to that point, so we're going to apply this yes. particular solution mm. to it. Let's do it now before it gets out of control. Yes. What is the problem with like racing ahead and just applying a technical solution straight away? Yes. So you said a couple of key words there: okay. concern and the people. Yeah. Okay. Any leader, leaders listening here. Um, will notice and particularly this has become more and more apparent as we've entered into complex grey zone is that there is increasing feedback and pushback mm. and anxiety in people. We've talked a lot about this. So, you know, you may have a, a leader who is dealing with a popular, I'll say it as a, let's talk about national leader. You may have a national leader who's dealing with anxiety in the population over a spreading virus from Wuhan. Mm -hmm. So they apply the technical solution of, well, we're going to you know, have quarantine. Um, and then, you know, they're dealing with that anxiety in the people. Then all of a sudden they deal with that, but then there's a second order effect of, of an economic problem. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then people are worried about the economic problem and then you have stimulus and there's an inflation problem and then, <laughs> then there's a devalued currency problem. Um, so what tends to happen is people are normally focused on the prime thing that is in front of them. Yeah. We talk a lot about ideology and issues around this, but really I think the bread and butter of the majority of populations, whether that's a country or it's a congregation, is the pressing issue that is before them that is felt. Yes. I feel isolated um, or I feel things have changed. Um, that leader's not here anymore. What's going on? How do I deal with this, this issue of, say, pushback against faith in the public space? What do I do with this? And so anxiety grows amongst the people you are leading mm -hmm. and that begins to assert tremendous pressure upon the leader. Now, often in a complicated world, a leader can get leadership authority or gravitas yes. through their successful application of technical solutions. Yes. Mm -hmm. But a leader is only as good as the last technical solution they applied. You move into a complex world uh, and the anxiety raises and we've seen that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked many times about say, churches in the United States who were dealing with COVID mm -hmm. and then dealing with, um, you know, significant issues around race and polarization mm -hmm. and all these things simultaneously. Um, and then leaders like, what on earth do I do and, and deal with all of this at mm. once? At moments like this, the leader begins to feel pressure. So the leader starts running to technical solutions to solve something really quick to take away the negative feelings mm. that the people are feeling, the concern, the anxiety. And so that's where it's actually hugely tempting to go for a quick fix. So just to use an example from the current current energy crisis, particularly felt in Europe with the coming winter, is the quick fix solution is price caps. We're yeah. going to put a price cap, and I get that. If yeah. I, if I was in Britain, I was having to pay how many goodness pounds for my my heating bill, and we're experiencing it here, not to the extent, but we're experiencing it here. And the prime minister is like, "Well, we're going to cap it. Great, brilliant." Mm -hmm. But what you're doing then is you're 
having to borrow money or print money to pay for those. Those, those bills still have to be paid. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. Like the supplies of energy, that's still. So all you're doing is kicking the can down the road. Yeah. So very much where we've been in a world at the moment is we have spent some time kicking cans down the road. We can come back to that, but yeah. that's it. So there's a great, to summarize, there's a fantastic huge temptation for leaders when the people get anxious in a complex environment to run to quick fix technical solutions that seemingly have worked in the past or somewhere else in the world. Yeah. Can I just give you one example real quick? The amount of times I've had leaders say to me, Mark, you're into culture stuff. Culture's getting a lot more hot at the moment. It's become a hot button issue. Can you just give me a quick summary so I can understand culture and maybe give a sermon on it? <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. like, you're dreaming. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? That's a technical solution, you know. Yeah, and I, I also wonder how much that's like a. There's some aspects of that that are f- probably more of a recent thing, just in terms of how we process information and how we think. Yes, I mean, much it's, it's much easier. Like with the advent of Google, yes. oh, I just I've got an issue. I'm just going to Google that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we kind of begin to skim the surface and look for the quick fixes, the quick answers, the sound bites that actually yeah get us out of trouble or get us down the road versus even just the ability to think deeply mm. about things or consider multiple elements. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, Neil Postman wrote the classic Amusing Ourselves to Death book mm. Mm. and, you know, he talked about the fact that, you know, in the 19th century people would go and sit and listen to presidential candidates speak for three or four hours mm. on an issue Yeah, and took their kids, like 12-year-old kids are sitting yeah. there listening to this. Um, and you think of that, a three or four-hour exploration of an issue in tremendous depth is reduced now to a Twitter, you know, a tweet yeah, or yeah. a, a soundbite on the news. Yeah, 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 And you can give an entire speech and the news will just clip yes. the one often most controversial slash yeah. maybe even the thing you'd even mean to say. Um, so, yeah, so there's this, this there is this whole thing of these comp- – there's two strange things happening at the same time. One is an increasing compl- complexity – the world is becoming more complex, yet our information diet is becoming more junk. Yeah, mm. yeah that's yeah, happening yeah. simultaneously, or sound bitey. Yeah. yeah, I also um, just a point on that uh, that the people are wanting a quick solution, and the yes. pressure is placed on the leader. Comes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago um, in relation to civilizational decline mm. and the um, the therapeutic. Uh, Society, was it? Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, how there's this this craving for, for leaders or for the authorities to provide safety and security and comfort. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And that, that's that's the expectation of the, the institution yes. um, to provide that. And in this in that example that you were talking about with um, with stimulus, the yes. government to provide safety and security and all the things that we've had before at the same price. And I'm wondering if this could be an entire podcast in of itself. Yeah, probably can. (laughs) But (laughs) one thing you will see is that as the world becomes more complex, people retreat into the self. Mm -hmm. One comment I'm noticing, you know, as I talk about in in Non-Anxious Presence, the end of the American century or, you know, and look, there's still many things where it still could become another American century. That's another whole podcast as well. (laughs) But um, uh, as lot. You can't control the world, particularly as empires get to that late civilizational thing where you can't control the world, you begin to try and control yourself. And you go from, you know, Christopher Lash talked about the imperial self becomes the infant self or the therapeutic self. Interesting. So instead of trying to control the world, you can try and control your inner world through 
um, therapy or feelings or creating a comfort zone or different instead of like trying to change the world, you know, and rule and subdue <laughs> in the mm-hmm. world, you know, in your own strength, you try and rule and subdue your inner world in your own strength. That could be a whole podcast. Yeah. Hmm. Um, would you say that you're just kicking that can down the road? Mark? I'm kicking that can down the road. <laughs> I'm, I'm applying the technical solution of finishing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And I think that's uh, pertinent. Yes. Um, you have also mentioned uh, uh, in our preparation for this episode, you talked about the swarm. Yes, the digital um, swarm. Yes. Can you explain yes. that? Uh, so different people, Jin uh, Han's talked about the swarm and John Robb has talked about swarm. And effectively, we've spoken about the anxious crowd Yep. And that pressure where you have the anxious crowd um, and we understand that socially, mm-hmm. leading people and most of us on this podcast lead people, but it's also true digitally. And what we have now, which again, Neville Chamberlain didn't have in 1938, was a digital swarm of people who react at absolute hyperspeed. Mm. Um, yesterday, Elon Musk suggested, basically he said um, on Twitter, Ukrainian offensive is being extremely successful um, and they're taking large parts of eastern Ukraine. Um, the Ukrainian government um, is wanting to take back all of what was taken in 2014 and uh, he talked about the fact that you've got Crimea where you have lots of Russian speakers and does Crimea want to actually rejoin? You know, What do they, what do they want to do? Um, and he said the problem is that the more there are Ukrainian military successes, essentially, I'm paraphrasing Musk here, the chances of a nuclear strike or a use of nuclear weapons raises mm-hmm. as Putin runs out of battlefield options and he has yeah. this weapon in his locker and at what point does he use it? So what Musk was saying is I think the solution is we've sort of got to you know, swallow our pride and think about some kind of appeasement, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of the Neville Chamberlain, Chamberlain argument. What was really interesting, you sort of put that there on Twitter. You'd think for someone who's about to buy Twitter, you'd be aware of this. Maybe he just doesn't care. I don't think he does. Um, But instantly this digital swarm overtook him. Yeah. And, um, you know, pushed back, you know, the the Ukrainian ambassador to the US on Twitter told him to F off and Zelensky was pushing back and just all these people and how can you say this? And he's like, yeah, but I gave the Ukrainian Starlink. What have you done? Um, but it was just a classic example of in a complex environment, not only do we have people wanting to bring things down to really simple solutions, technical solutions, yes, but they want to do it at hyper speed and this is beyond rationality. Mm-hmm. This is like a digital it's, – it's like we now have this emotional organ that we've taken outside of our body that is operating at hyper speed on an issue. Um, so that's also what goes on. That yeah. not only we've got leaders have got the pressure of the usual anxiety of humans that we've always had throughout human history, but we now we have this like utter accelerant on it. Um, mm. Where on Twitter things can go viral, so that then creates this extra dynamic in the world where you see this. You know, something there's a publicity um, thing that comes up in in the media, and everyone has to. You know, we had a like uh, 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 I mean, you're endless. Examples of this um, viral, you know, cancel culture, all this sort of stuff is examples of leaders are also operating in a, in a time of complexity, in a time when people are anxious, in a time when people want um, easy answers. The digital swarm has only sped that up, yeah, okay. and put more pressure on leaders. 
Mm. So in response to that, uh, you've mentioned the the age of the image. So leaders, yeah. leaders. Well, last one is, you know, we very much live in, a, in an age of image where um, uh, to actually deal with issues in their complexity, uh, we prefer to put up a, a, a photoshopped image um, which seems like we've dealt with it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of window dressing and mm-hmm. rearranging chair, deck chairs on the Titanic, um, which often people will do. So it's not just a technical answer. They'll often give a very visual technical answer. You know, yes. this is the person, you know, the, the company that's caught out with a huge corruption issue so they get all of the, you know, directors to come and, and someone's crying and talking about that they did this because they play too many computer games or something, you know, yeah. I'm making this up. But um, yeah, so it's also in the age of the image where people often mistake what you're doing that's visual for actual change. Yeah, okay. So it, it's just a facade a essentially. Facade. yes. Yeah. Yes. Masking the fact that there is no real solution. Yes. Um, and that the Titanic is sinking. Yes. Yeah. Just a quick, is an example of that um, – like the use of Twitter for like, um, like if, if I'm a politician, I'll just, t- I'll tweet something yes. that this is what I'm going to do or this is, I saw this, had this conversation and that kind of gives the the people a sense of satisfaction, oh, something's been dealt with or that's been resolved yes. now. Yes. Versus, I haven't actually done anything. I've just tweeted that I did. Yes. Is that yeah. a, probably a, not a great example but is that – Totally. I mean, I mean, you know, like, I mean, I'll give this example, you know, like you were speaking about here before, but a company, you know, I've talked about how, you know, the battle of Seattle in, in was it 99 or whatever, 2000, mm-hmm. you know, where there was a significant pushback against corporations yeah. and it was about their economic model and, and workplace practices. And, and it was a traditional sort of left-wing pushback, you know, um, and in many ways, what those companies did is they pivoted by pushing into, you know, what, what they saw as sort of diversity and inclusion, but from a very visual perspective and the bottom issues are never really dealt with, yeah, if yeah, that makes okay. sense. Yeah, yeah. So the actual issues of, um, you know, how, how is a worker paid in Southeast Asia or, uh, you know, the fact that the structure of the company is, mm-hmm. is, is got problematic. It's easy just mm. to sort of do an ad which which seems to be pushing into the, yeah, the yeah, cool yeah. issues of the day rather than actually dealing with the deep issues, you know, th- that are part of, of – Yes, yes. – that are driving injustice. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I wonder with all of this mapped out of – the problem that many leaders are facing in this complex world is is the desire to apply a technical solution. Let's move on to what you're suggesting could be the solution. Yeah. So uh, taking this from a book um, called Leadership on the Line by Ronald Hayfords and Martin Marty Linsky, Mar- Marty Linsky, and um, they talk about that in, in sort of moments of complexity that actually what you need is not just technical uh, like techni- technical, I just want people to hear this. Technical solutions have a place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so we're not saying technical solutions are bad. But when you're in novel, new, challenging, complex environments like our grey zone moment, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's only growing and those issues are increasing, they, what you need is what they call adaptive leadership. Yeah. So you move from the application of technical solutions, which could be called management, 
to um, leadership, which mm-hmm. is the adaptation. Uh, so, is the application of adaptive leadership. So, what is adaptive leadership? Adaptive leadership is going. Here's this new complex issue. We don't really have an answer for this. <laughs> yeah. So we need to go on a journey to discover an answer for this. Mm. Um, Red understands that we are trying to do something that's as old as the church itself, which is to fulfill Jesus' mandate to go into the world and make disciples. So we're called to be a New Testament church. Yeah. But we're doing that in a complex changing environment, individualism, liquidity, um, uh you know, all these factors that we're dealing with at this point in time. We are, we don't have a tech, we can't say here is the 100, I, I don't, let me put it this way, I don't know of a single church that I look at and go, they've got the, all the technical solutions on how to disciple people in the 21st yeah. century with all the challenges coming. Mm-hmm. What we're doing, and I think this is what we're trying to do through this podcast, what this podcast is not about is here's the 22 things you should do in your church tomorrow. Yeah. This is the size of your small groups. This is the exact material you should run, blah, blah, blah. People often want that. We get emails wanting that. Mm-hmm. And like we'll offer like, hey, we tried this. What are you thinking of? Um, we're rather trying to teach people how to think adaptively. Yes. And adaptively is going on the journey where you have to learn to adapt and create new solutions yes. or novel and new challenges. I um, <laughs> The issue with this, right, Yes. is as we've already acknowledged that the crowd, those that you are leading, feel uncomfortable with mm change and feel uncomfortable when something's not being done. Yes. So the push to have a solution quickly yes. is it's easy to apply a technical solution. An adaptive solution, an adaptive leadership um, in the excerpt from this book says that it requires experiments, new discoveries and adjustments. Mm. That takes time. Yes. So mm. how do you not placate but help support those who you are leading to be okay with, oh, this is a journey that we're going on. And maybe you're not ready to go to that then, but that was just what I was No, no, that's a great. So I was listening to a podcast last week. Um, It's the, uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's um, Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's former um, advisor and the former British conservative um, politician, Rory Stewart, um, who was an official in Afghanistan. they, they, they were talking about this and they were saying that how people in a sense are almost getting sick of the easy answers because they're not seeing the easy answers working. Work. Yeah. And, you know, Alistair Campbell was saying what we need to do is, I think I said this to you guys, uh, what, what we yeah. need to do is um, actually help people understand the issues in a digestible way. Yes. And Rory Stewart said, yeah, but that people hate that in politics and I think Rory Stewart's right and you know he did run against Boris Johnson for the the leadership and lost to, to Boris Johnson yeah um, who could be argued is someone who offers easy answers yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know he sort of argument someone who tried that it didn't work um, but Alistair Campbell Campbell countered saying their podcast which is trying to explain for an hour every week everything that's happening behind the news and why this is all happening and they'll talk about Taiwan they'll talk about you know, Kenyan politics, but also what's happening in British politics. He said, everywhere mm. they go, they're just surrounded by people who say, thank you, you, you help me understand that. Now, I think maybe that's also what we've tried to do with this. Yes. So I think it's don't placate, narrate. 
Oh, I like that. Did that just come up now? That literally just came up now. <laughs> I love it. And if this mic wasn't attached, I would be dropping it. Um, <laughs> I'm but I think glad that you're not. Yeah. Uh, I think what that is is that taking people on the journey, I think what we've tried to do, and we've used that term before with, with rebuilders, and I know it's different to a leader listening to this, going for a walk and like, oh, okay, that helps me understand it versus saying that to an anxious crowd in yeah. a public yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think narrating and treating people like adults um, you need to do it in a digestible way. Yeah. But helping people understand where we're at and narrating, I think, is really key. So here's here's what we're facing. We yeah. have not faced this before. Yes. There aren't answers out there. People, I want to tell you, there's no churches that I know that have just got this all perfect. But what I believe is that, you know, we can step into something with God where with him, the people of God have have found answers before walking with God. Yeah. Um, so together we're going to go on a journey, you know. Now, the thing that I think is really, really important to understand, and this is really one reason why I appreciate this book, Leadership on the Line, is it's one of the most honest leadership books I have read Yes. in the sense of what they say is leadership is advocating for positive change. Humans resist change. Yes. We are creatures of habit. And we have identities and and investments in the current situation, no matter how toxic that is. Mm. It's amazing how many times I've seen people choose to stay in toxic situations relationally, employment, spiritually, because they would prefer to sit with the uncomfortable known than step into the frighteningness of the unknownness no. of freedom. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and so what what. Linsky and Heifert say, Heifert say is you have to get used to the idea that if you're going to lead, you're leading people to change and they are going to come at you. <laughs> and I don't think many <laughs> leaders have been told this. I think that what's happened is lots of young leaders, and this has perhaps been the story of the last couple of years, lots of young leaders were told this. In the past, there were these technical solutions and they weren't working, be it traditional church or that kind of church. We've now discovered these new kinds of technical mm. solutions. Yeah. Mm. It could be the event-based, well-run contemporary church. It could yeah. be this new reform thing, this missional thing, this thing, whatever it is. And it's a new arrangement and it's got these 22 different new technical solutions. And if you just apply them, everyone's going to love you and it's going to work. Yeah. And all of a sudden we enter complex world and those technical solutions don't seem to be working. Yeah. And actually people don't like you. And you're trying these different things and you're getting pushback. And so what they're saying in this book, and they just boldface say it, <laughs> that if you're going to advance the change, people are going to come against you. So the book is like offering his strategies for surviving. Yeah. <laughs> and so – uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of what we've seen in the last two years, we've seen a lot of burnout. We've seen a lot of people go through terrible things. We've seen a lot of leaders fall over and and all of that is very real. But I do wonder if also what we've seen is people realising this is the reality of leadership mm. and um, the myth that you can lead and everyone's going to love you and all you do is do these 22 technical things and do them really well. That is dying and needs to die because it's not real um, and just, it's not biblical. No. Hmm. Um, I Well, I was going to go down one path, but you've just mentioned the Bible, so I might as well go there. Um, there's, as we were talking about this yesterday, there's that um, 
that bit in Matthew or in the Gospels really um, where uh, yeah, just bear with. Um, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Mm. The life of a disciple is acknowledging that it's going to be hard you have to deny those feelings of yes. fear and challenge so leaders have to do this in themselves yes. in order to lead those who aren't willing to do it in themselves either yes yes Woo. okay <laughs> mm. so okay so multiple things yeah just as okay i'll put it this way you cannot grow without loss Yep. If you want to physically improve your fitness, you're going to have to cut out some stuff. It's not just doing stuff, it's also cutting out stuff. We don't like to hear that. If you want to eat healthy, you're going to have to lose something you may like doing, such as eating donuts at 4 a.m. Or chocolate cake at uh, 10.30 a.m. Just before rebuilders. Pastries, just before rebuilders every week. Um, uh, You know, you... To step into the new, even if the loss is simply the loss of what is known. Yes. We've seen that. We've seen the grief around the world that was 2019 that seems to have disappeared. You know, it's it's real. Yeah. And uh, when you are leading people, you're leading them into growth and growth is always accompanied by a loss. Hmm. And I think that has not been communicated to people well. Now- that's always been hard, again, through human history. Anyone, any leader, any church leader has that's had to face that throughout history. What makes that particularly hard at the moment is, again, going back to the previous era that we were in, let's call it the post-1989 to 2019 world, mm. was the mythos was unrealistic expectations that you can have it all. I want community and I want to feel deeply connected to church, but I'm going to come when I want. Yeah. Uh, I want to go deep with these people, but I don't really want to commit to them. I want to grow in my faith, but I still want the goodies of the world. I want to, Jesus, to be really real at my workplace, but I don't want to seem like a fool for him potentially in the lunchroom. Um, I want to move my church forward, but I don't want to upset those people. Um, There is a sense of unrealistic expectations, and we're seeing this as a world. So just as we talked about my Toyota Camry and the supply chain, Mm -hmm. there's also a supply chain of reality. Yes. And I think that's what's being exposed in the world that, for example, you know, there is a significant climate crisis that the world is facing. Now, the way that we're talking about that six, seven years ago was like, ah, look, all we need to do is just replace our our petrol and gas guzzling cars with electric. Oh, good. But now we're like, oh, hang on, an electric car. Well, I think I just saw recently in England that the price of filling up an electric car is the same as filling it with petroleum. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, electric actually cars are powered by electricity. Electricity is also done by fossil fuels. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe in the transition to, you know, we need renewables, but it's going to cost us. Yeah. Like, so people are like, oh yeah, I believe in the environment and all these terrible big oil companies that, you know, just ruining the world and, you know, well, no one's invented an electric plane yet. Like there is some electric planes, they don't fly very far. I saw one that they're invented and it's small and it flies like 500 kilometers. Okay. So no one wants to go, I really want to decarbonize the world, but do you want to pay five, $6,000 for your ticket to Europe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Or I want to decarbonize the world, so I'm not going to go on holidays ever yes. again. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, or, yeah, it, I mean, so many examples of this. Or I, I want to decarbonize the world, but I also want to just have that, you know, rare herb that is flying in here from Chile, you know, to put on my special So many of omnis. us can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. rare herbs from Chile. Um, you know, so I, I, what we've been told is you can have all the ethical things and also all the consumer things simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and you've been told that you can not delay gratification but have this wonderful life. Yes. So the world has been pumped up with unrealistic expectations and now we're seeing this. You know, mm. we're, we're seeing the reality of this, that we live in a world of, of challenges, energy, political, geopolitical, sin, structural oppression, all these kinds of things are in the world and we just want simple solutions to them all and these things cost. Yes. So that's one of the key things is that you're leading people into a more realistic and accurate view of the world. Now, I just want to say this too. I think I've said this before on Rebuilders. That is a part, part of discipleship because one of the great things which has been like a wet blanket over people's discipleship is unrealistic expectations. Yeah. <laughs> because they just think, oh, I don't really need to feel apologies for my life because really I can just have everything, et cetera, et cetera. But as increasingly we face this crisis, but we, we also face a more realistic view of the world. Mm. So leaders also lead people into the realistic challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. And I guess, again, coming back to the, the challenge of the, the leader in that um, and, and recognising that you're probably not going to be liked very much as you lead people into change, that's very confronting for identity. Hugely confronting. Mm. Hugely confronting. So we like to be seen as competent. Yes. People get in a sense of like we say to each other, hey, what do you do? Hi, Daniel. What do you do with yourself? You know, and you'll often say, well, actually, I'm an alpine skier. <laughs> skier. Oh, am I? <laughs> I am the first man to ski from the top of Everest down and survive. That's true. Um, you know, well if, done, if, Daniel. Thank you. You know, if you say something, you say, I'm actually a, a, you know, a world chess champion or I'm a Nobel Prize winning scientist or, you know, like I wrote the biggest selling novel of the last 20 years. That impresses people because they're technical achievements. Yeah. You know, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're an expert. They're a doctor, but they're not just a doctor. They're one of the world leading experts in this bone marrow condition. Oh, wow. You know, so we get identity from, do you love my little mm. imagination? Oh, Mark Brunson's in pretty high circles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, making, I'm making this all up. Um, uh, we, we get identity from what we're good at. And there's this, again, too, that's not necessarily wrong in of itself. But what happens when you're a leader? And you've perhaps got some gravitas because of your technical solutions and that doesn't start to work. You're getting pushback from people. They want a quick fix. It's a swarm. It's a complex world. Anxiety is running hot. You're trying to be a non-anxious presence, but you don't have a technical solution. Your identity is not found in your technical solution. Hmm. So what you need to do, that is an invitation into discovering your identity in Christ. Yes. And what it also is, is one key thing to say is I would say to people, learn to lead from the workshop. Learn to lead from the workshop. Mm-hmm. Now, what 
what the sort of no one says this, you know, and and there's all these kinds of you know we've talked about podcasts and rise and fall of Mars Hill, looking at you know different forms of toxic leadership. There's an element of leadership which which I have not heard people talk about lots, but the almost unspoken script of the successful Christian leader was this: is uh, person X. And they come up with this fantastic technical solution of how to do small groups really well or how to do evangelism really well or how to start this not-for-profit and do this particular thing, helping that community really well, whatever. And here's all the technical things. That starts to have some success. Publishers start to, you know, surround them or they write a blog on it or something, whatever. And then they write the book and then they start to go on the road and they start to talk to other people about the technical success. Mm -hmm. And then eventually often what happens is they leave – the actual context in which they were doing that thing. Yes. And they just are talking technical you know, solutions disconnected from their from, actual yeah. contextual place. Now, again, too, I'm not saying that's wrong in of itself. There's definitely people with an apostolic calling. I'm not having a go at that in of itself. But where we are in novel situations and in adaptive leadership – it's very hard to adapt when you're not on the coalface in the context. Yeah. Uh, I had so many times we're sitting there reading some book and I come up with some brilliant theory, I think, in my mind over my coffee and, you know, I write it up in my journal. And then I come into the office and go, oh, there's no way that would work. <laughs> <laughs> because I go from the sort of highfalutin world of my my mind, unconnected from the context, come into the context and go, oh, that's not going to work. Or the other way is so much of the material from my books is actually me hitting pastoral issues in real time, leadership issues in real time in a place like Melbourne and then researching and then you get a solution at the end. Yeah. So adaptive leadership is always tied to a context. And partially what you're doing is when you're doing adaptive leadership, you're discovering as you go. You know, we, yes. we talked about early on in the pandemic, we did a podcast where we were like, this is the stuff that we've done. Like we're putting it in place. Like it's three weeks old, yeah, yeah. sharing it with people. And we were narrating, like this is what we're learning. We weren't, we weren't masters of how to lead through a global pandemic yeah. um, because we'd never been through one, but we were narrating how we were trying to think about it or, yes. you know, we've been doing that like so much of this podcast. So I think realizing that the workshop, now just one quick thing biblically, the book of Proverbs is really helpful because in a sense it sort of delineates between two types of information. There's the information that is Everywhere in the world, we, as Daniel mentioned before, there's Google where you can find all kinds of technical solutions mm-hmm. or information. Yes. But then there's wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom is this very different kind of knowledge and wisdom is spiritual. Yeah. God built the world with wisdom. But you don't get to discover wisdom and, and until you go on a walk with wisdom. Yeah. I often think to myself, I'd love to go back and know everything I know now and learnt in ministry when I was like beginning ministry. <laughs> but so much of that that knowledge, that wisdom has come from some really rubbish times, really difficult challenges, huge struggles. I could not have learnt that stuff not being in the midst of crises, pain, suffering, challenge, difficulty. So you don't get to get wisdom. So we want information, Google, dip, 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 dip. oh, there's the answer. Yeah. You have to live and walk wisdom. It's found in the workshop. Yes. So adaptive leadership, you're not going to get this until you find it in the workshop. And I just want to say too, many of the leaders listening have gone through a really tough time in the last two years Mm. and that's been so many people. 
yes, it's been tarred. But maybe what you've not noticed is that wisdom has been developed. You may not go, oh, I've got no idea how, like, what on earth a successful small group ministry looks like after all of this. But you have learned how you dealt with that conflict, how you dealt with that backlash, what mm. God talked to you about dependency, what you learned about yourself. All of that stuff is the stuff that God uses to grow us in our adaptive leadership. So what you're saying, this, this um problem that leaders are facing and the solution of being um, adaptive is essential and pivotal to the success of leadership. Mm. And it is going to confront some deep fears. Mm. Um, It's going to require leaders to confront those deep Mm. fears. Um, But the payoff is significant and it's a, it's a way forward that isn't necessarily, um, something that you've done before mm. it might be informed by things that you've done before but it's new and it's and it's different um you've mentioned here that the crisis of leadership leads to renewal mm. so what i'm saying is that leadership inherently creates a crisis when you get to having to do adaptive leadership yeah okay got it if you've just got all the technical solutions before you and just running it from the manual yeah you, you, you live in you know you just go home it's management you, yeah just management you're not thinking about anything you know i mean management can also have crises but if you're just applying to if you've got all the technical solutions you're just applying them happy days yes but when you're like i got to adaptively lead my identity is 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 i can't place it in this i've got mm. pushback from people i'm living in this complex environment where Today's technical solution may be tomorrow's, you know, uh, second effect. You know, like um, uh, what's the word? Negative effect. Yes. Um, so what that's going to do is that going to push you into a personal crisis. Yeah. Clearly. Yes. Know. So that c- crisis again proceeds renewal. Mm-hmm. And when you go, oh, I can't put my identity in this. I don't have an answer. Goodness me. There was actually a, a great quote you read out from. Um, Heifetz and Linsky. Again, yes. this is a secular book. It's not a Christian book, um, but it sparks thoughts that then take us into, I think, well, you read it and then I'll, I'll comment, yeah. The one about dependency? Yes, yeah. yes. So you have to counteract their exaggerated dependency and promote their resourcefulness. Hmm. This takes an extraordinary level of presence, time, and artful communication. Hmm. So what they're saying is, that you basically have to lead people away from, hey, I'm not just going to give you an answer. You've got to grow. Yes. <laughs> You've got to grow mm. and you have the resourcefulness to actually even discover this. Yeah. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to do the work for themselves. They want to lead it. They don't want to take responsibility. Mm. Now, true leaders lead people into them taking responsibility. Yeah. That's what so much of leadership is about. So many people do not want to take responsibility for their spiritual growth. Yeah. And we get – grace of, of, of that Jesus gives us, yeah. you know, which we can't work for, we confuse that when then sanctification, well, I just don't need to do anything. Mm. You know, like, like, and again, too, I'm not talking about works for your salvation, anything like that. But what I am saying, there's an element you've got to say, I'm going to take responsibility for my spiritual life. Yeah. Um, we don't like to do that. And particularly when you've said, been told in a word, you can have it all. So when you lead people into that, that's going to create a crisis in your own life because you have to take responsibility for the ways in which you're going to spiritually grow to be able to be adaptive. Yes. Because again, it's a very similar thing to um, when I read um, 
uh, uh, failure of nerve, mm. which is the idea of a non-anxious presence comes from, from Edwin Friedman. And there's a lot of, um, I think, uh, sparks between the two books um, that um, talk about similar things. You know, I read this book and go, I think there's a lot that these guys have got right. I can't do this in my own strength. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that good um, to just feel that continual pushback and always be a non-anxious presence. But what it does do is with God I can. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just have more information. I want holy biblical wisdom, you know, which literally, you know, God placed in the world at the beginning of creation. You know, there's those two images of the foolish, you know, the call to the foolish one and the call to the wise one. You know, I want to walk in the way of wisdom. So in order to do that, yes, you may be feeling a crisis when you've heard about this, like, goodness me, how do I adaptively lead? But I believe that's an opportunity to step into a personal renewal that, again, will lead to corporate change. And it's kind of that thing of you can't lead people where you haven't gone. Yes. So just as as you as a leader encounter these this internal crisis perhaps of identity and of like, oh, maybe I'm not going to be liked in this and I don't know if this is going to work out and you're, you've stepped over the threshold and you're floating there not knowing what's going to happen next, that actually is I guess equipping you with spiritual authority to yes. lead others to do the same. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's an encouragement there. And I also think of, um, we were talking about this yesterday, think of the boat and stepping mm. out of the boat and yes. um, Peter looking to Jesus and, and mm. walking on the water. Um, what is what is that boat moment mm. for you that you as a leader need to step out of the boat and trust and believe that actually God has um, – a, a plan as you mm. open to him the next step for your for your church for your organization whatever it mm. is that you're leading um that yeah that he's he's got you and this this takes faith and trust mm. Mm. i think this also gives us another way to look at the remnant that we've spoken about yeah. here the remnant are those not who are your mates not those who are most like you not those who always have had positional power in the organization you lead or the, the most loyalist ones to the organization. The, the remnant is those who are saying yes to growing yeah, despite the cost. Mm. The other thing too is one thing I, I liked again about the very honesty of this book, Leadership on the Line, they just said in change there'll be casualties. Yeah. And I think one of the other myths is that you can be the leader. You, like people may be hearing this going, right, well, I can, okay, I'm going to start this process of adaptive leadership and I'll take everyone with me. I'm just going to have endless roundtables and endless comms and social media strategy. And I'm going to meet with every single person. And, and if I just do that well enough, everyone will be happy and come with me. Yeah. Not everyone chooses to grow. Yeah. There are people who resist you and they're not even resisting you. I think. Like there's an element when you go into leadership and you're and you, all of us have our insecurities and it feeds some identity, particularly when we have some technical wins. Yeah. And you can begin to think that people are seeing you. They're often not seeing you. They're seeing simply something that is a symbol of change. So they'll often turn on you and even people who are closest to you yes. because you go from representing, hey, my friend A to now you represent change that I fear and want to resist. Yes. So, or like – you represent safety and yes, comfort and yes, known yes, and yes. now you're moving into an unknown. Yes, 100%, yep. which challenges me. So I just don't want – I don't want anything to do with yes. you or I want to undermine you. 
the remnant here becomes the group which are almost at the front of, you know, we've talked about the worm inching forward, the front third of the worm moving forward, that they're the ones who are most likely to go on the journey with you and be mm -hmm. adaptive, mm. you know. So it's, it's, it's not just the most – um, holy group. <laughs> it's it's it, it's the one who are willing to go on the journey and take the losses that growth requires. Yeah, I guess those who are willing to step out of the boat, right? Take up their cross. Yeah, deny themselves. Yeah, and 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 finally, this this is where I think that again, coming back to what we're doing here. The goal is not just to offer people technical solutions. Mm. There's other podcasts which probably do that far better than we can. And again, there's some great technical solutions out there. You know, if I've got an issue at church, I'll look at technical solutions. But I've got to apply that to my context and the novel situations that we approach. But I believe that what we're trying to do here is is offer you frameworks of thinking, help you be adaptive leaders, and to crowdsource. You know, mm. there are people listening, you know, what, what the best thing for this is there's stuff that we're not even going to come up with because we're not smart enough or not not in the right context that someone in in Spain in a super secular city is going to come up with or someone in, in South Korea dealing with all the different social isolation that's occurring in South Korea or someone in, in Buenos Aires. And and as this, this from the ground up sort of emergence of people following God, being adaptive leaders in their context. You can learn from that. Like we can learn from others. Yes, yes. And, and uh, you know, I think that the sort of solutions that God is leading us into are going to sort of emerge from the ground up. So I just want to encourage everyone. You may think, oh, I've got five people in my church and a dog. You can still <laughs> be part of the emergent solution because maybe the situation you're in, do you know? A mm. hundred people in a church in Dublin or Valencia – is very different to ten thousand people in a church in Chicago. Yeah, you know, and and you know there are different contexts that people find themselves in, and we need to learn from those who are having to do the most adaptive work where they are. Mm. Which I think back to the episode we interviewed did with David uh, Yaganatsa, yes, from Elon Ministries, and just yeah. hearing some a totally different context with unprecedented kind of challenges and, and yes. persecution, and the way that they actually lent into that. Yes. Adaptive mm. change and the the renewal we're seeing mm. um, because of that, amazing. And they almost had to throw out all their technical. Remember, yeah. said there's no program, so there was no technical. Yeah, yeah. technical solutions allowed. Almost. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, excellent discussion today. There's uh, <laughs> so many more things we could we could dive into, but let's wind it up there. Uh, if you do want to um, receive a list of the resources like the books, um, articles, podcasts, whatever that we've referred to in this episode, you can subscribe to our mailing list at rebuilders.co. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue this conversation in another podcast. Thanks See you so next much. time.